I remember as a teenager, particularly at university, explaining on a number of occasions that because of my Christian beliefs, I wished to remain celibate until marriage. And although these Christian ideals concerning sex were considered old-fashioned, outdated and restrictive, there was still a certain amount of respect given to them and an admittance that they might actually be a good idea. Now, the Christian worldview is deemed to be downright immoral, peddling dangerous, medieval ideas about sex and sexuality and gender that threaten the health of society and go against the fundamental ideas of justice and human rights. So what has changed? What is the worldview that is driving a wedge between biblical teaching and society and pushing Christianity to the dark fringes of society? And where does it leave people like me and people like you when it comes to each of us figuring out how to make our way through the difficult conversation, the uncomfortable decisions and our own internal feelings? Now, as I start this series, I want to highlight just a few important things. Firstly, number one, I'm a Christian pastor, therefore I'm offering what I believe to be a Christian understanding and response to this topic. I'm also a white, male, middle-aged, heterosexual, so my first-hand knowledge of many of these topics are limited. Two, I recognise with humility that my beliefs and understandings around some of these topics may change over time. So all I can offer is what I sincerely believe to be true now. Three, I understand that this is not for many people a topic to be discussed intellectually, but a life-altering issue that has brought much trouble, heartbreak and soul-searching that the church's best response is to show love, kindness and compassion. And not to fall into the temptation to draw battle lines and hold theological standpoints. We are talking about real people here. And then number four, this is a massive subject and so no one talk or video is enough to do the topic justice. That's why we're taking a whole month to look at this topic and even then we're already scratching the surface. So if you want to know what we as a church community think about sex and sexuality, please stick with us. Don't just grab a soundbite from one talk, but instead persevere and explore this topic with us so that we can learn together. I heard a quote recently that said, there is no correct position, only a correct position of the heart. Humility, mercy and love towards those who the culture war would have us view as enemies. And with that in mind, let's get started. Part one, what glasses are you wearing? The other week I went for an eye test. Now I was pretty confident that I didn't need glasses, but I wanted to go just to check on the health of my eyes. You know, I'm getting to that age where things are starting to go wrong. And much to my shock and disappointment, the optician recommended that I start wearing reading glasses. So I was suddenly faced with the task of choosing myself two pairs of glasses. It was a buy one, get one free deal. And I must admit, it was really difficult, faced with all these different options, different sizes, different shapes. So I tried on a few, chose two, and hoped that they would be okay. But the reality is we are all wearing special glasses, lenses through which we view, understand, and interpret the world around us. It's what we commonly know as our world view. 
and yet we don't really choose it, even if we think we have, because our choice is influenced by a number of factors. Our nationality, our family values, our life experiences, our friendship groups. Then put on top of that media, culture, school. There is so much out there that shapes who we are and what we think, what we believe to be true. What we believe to be truth. So, if it feels right to us, if it resonates with us, if it's affirmed by those around us, it must therefore be true. But are feelings and cultural affirmation really a good measure of truth? Could our worldview, these lenses we see the world through, possibly be misguided? I know that sharks are dangerous to humans. The fact of this has terrified me since I was a kid. I've seen pictures of them. Their bodies are perfectly formed killing machines. I've heard the news reports of surfers in Australia being killed by great whites, and my fears have only been confirmed by Jaws and the seven Sharknado movies. And yet, when you look at the statistics, we discover that between 2011 and 2017, only 50 people worldwide were killed by sharks compared with 259 people being killed in the same period in selfie-related accidents. Then, when you discover that 100 million sharks are killed each year by humans, you realise that the truth is that humans are the danger, not sharks. Just because our feelings and society affirm something as true, it doesn't necessarily make it so. There's also a phenomenon known as illusory truth effects which basically means that if you are told something is true enough times, then you will believe it is, even if you started off thinking it wasn't. It's a bit like famous people who start to believe that they're more special and more important than anyone else, because their entourage tells them over and over again that they are. And politicians and news media use the same technique to shape our thinking and persuade us that a falsehood is truth, even if it blatantly isn't. It's a bit like that kid's story of the emperor's new clothes, where a vain emperor was persuaded that he looked amazing in his new attire, when in fact he was completely naked, because no one would tell him the truth. Instead, they repeatedly affirmed the lie. It took the laughter of a small boy to discover the embarrassing truth. The great French thinker Gustave Le Bon quoted Napoleon when he said that, there is only one figure in rhetoric of serious importance, namely repetition. The thing affirmed comes by repetition to fix itself in the mind in such a way that it is accepted in the end as a demonstrated truth. If we say something enough times, we will believe that it is true. What we believe, what we feel to be true is highly susceptible to influence. So in this first part of our teaching series, let's look together at sex and sexuality. Let's unpick why we believe what we believe, what our worldview is with regards to what it means to be human and how that affects our attitudes towards sexuality. Let's try to understand some of the foundational truths that influence our worldview. And then we can compare those to what the Bible says is true. Part two, the world. Am I just a soul in a body? I'm a big fan of science fiction. 
I admit it, I'm a bit of a Trekkie, though I haven't dressed up and gone to any conventions, at least not yet. And a storyline that often crops up across the genre of science fiction is the alien that has evolved from its corporeal body so only its soul remains, no longer tethered to the inconvenience of flesh. Alternatively, some films and TV series look forward to a time when we can upload our consciousness into a robotic or virtual body that is far better than the one we were born with. In all these cases, who we are, our identity, has nothing to do with physical bodies. It's about our mind and our soul, our values, our thoughts, our emotions, our desires, all of which are separate to our flesh. And these fictional accounts are all indicative of a societal truth that creates a schism, a split between our biological body and the real me that's encased within it, our soul. So do I get to decide, regardless of my physical biology, how I use my body to affirm the real, authentic me? An example of this is Rachel Dolezal, president of the National Association for the Advancement of Coloured People, or NAACP for short, and also university lecturer in African studies. Rachel lost her job and position when it was discovered that she was not in fact black, as she claimed to be, but white, born of white parents. Rachel says this, for me, how I feel is more powerful than how, how I was born. If somebody asks me how I identify, I identify as black. Nothing about whiteness describes who I am. Well, there's the Dutch positivity trainer, Emil Rattleband, who tried to change his legal age from 69 to 49, arguing that he felt discriminated against due to his age, affecting his employment chances and also his success rate on the dating app Tinder. This is what he says. says, we live in a time when you can change your name and change your gender. Why can't I decide my own age? Now, these are obviously extreme examples, but in some ways, not really. Because when it comes to sex and sexuality, there is no need to be constrained by our biology. A body is just a body. The real me is separate. So why not use our bodies as tools to bring us satisfaction and pleasure? Our physical bodies are wet machines that can be used like any other machine. There's no morality involved, no right and wrong, though there is, of course, the responsibility to use this machine with due care and consideration of others, a bit like driving a car. So when it comes to having sex, the pleasure you can derive from the act itself can be separated from your person. As Tina Turner sang, it's physical, only logical. You must try to ignore that it means more than that. What's love got to do with it? What's love but a second-hand emotion? What's love got to do with it? Who needs a heart when a heart can be broken? It's this separation of body and soul that fuels the belief, the truth, that sex can be detached from your emotions. A New York Times article explains, you just keep it purely sexual. And that way people don't have mixed expectations and no one gets hurt. Sex is just sex. We all have urges and desires that need to be satisfied, so why not enjoy it? And this has led to a hookup culture aided by apps such as Tinder that allow people to meet up, engage in sex without the requirement of relationship or even conversation. Casual, no-strings-attached sex has become a leisure activity. 
Friends with benefits provides the trappings of a relationship but without any depth or commitment. In fact, no emotional involvement is allowed, no vulnerability because that would make you clingy and that breaks the unspoken social rules of the hookup. Media outlets offer guides to navigating this sexual landscape with titles such as 12 ways not to fall for the guy you're casually hooking up with and the relationship game, how to avoid catching feeling for someone. Advice offered, for example, is to avoid making eye contact during sex. Drugs such as cocaine are recommended to dull the body's responses and thinking of someone else during the act is suggested in order to disassociate the pleasure from the sexual partner. And pornography is this separation at its most extreme, reducing a body to the status of an object or sexual instrument. But is this all true? Can the body and the person really be separated? Is it possible to engage in passionate sex without passion, without emotion, without connection? In fact, science itself tells us no. The hormone oxytocin is a chemical released by the body during breastfeeding and it increases an attachment between the mother and baby, stimulating an instinct for care and nurture. Oxytocin is also released during sexual intercourse, particularly though not exclusively in women. The sexual act itself, through the release of oxytocin, creates a sense of trust and commitment. You are creating a chemical bond. For men, the chemical is vasopressin, which stimulates feelings of intimacy and bonding. Our own bodies are betraying us. Permissive and open relationships, multiple sexual partners, promiscuity cause men and women, though particularly women, to use emotional detachment as a form of defence against being hurt. Because the reality, the truth, is that human bodies cannot be as easily separated from our minds as we would wish to believe. As Dr Nancy Piercy writes in her book, Love Thy Body, the hookup culture is unravelling the social fabric. It produces isolated, alienated adults who, be, who come together temporarily for physiological release by repeatedly breaking up or never connecting in the first place. Many people fail to learn how to form strong, resilient bonds needed to create happy, fulfilling, long-term marriages and families. Society may tell us that our bodies are just sexual tools and that by learning to protect and encase our internal authentic identities that we can use them safely for sexual pleasure but the true measurable reality is that improper use of our physical selves damage our emotional and psycho psychological selves. Part 3. The Bible. So what does the Bible tell us about our humanity and how that affects our attitude to sex and is it really possible that words written a couple of thousand years ago can be relevant now? Well we're going to take a dive into the book of 1 Corinthians. It's got a one in front of it because there are two books, letters in fact, written to a group of Jesus followers in the Greek city of Corinth. It's written by a guy named Paul, a hugely intelligent and influential Jew who had a miraculous transformation from a Christian hater to being a Christian himself when he met Jesus in a vision. In fact, Paul has written much of the New Testament. But first, just a little bit about Corinth. Corinth was a city with a bad reputation. 
It was a site of the temple to Aphrodite, the goddess of love, and therefore promiscuity and even prostitution was commonplace. Now, that Greek Corinth was totally destroyed before Paul came on the scene, but old habits die hard, and the now Roman colony was thoroughly Greek, Hellenistic in its cultural backgrounds. Now, Paul has a lot to say to the church in Corinth about marriage and sexuality, and we're going to look at just a few verses in chapter 6. Here's what it says in chapter 6, verse 12. I have the right to do anything, you say but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Verse 13, you say food for the stomach and the stomach for foods, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. It looks like Paul is picking up on a couple of catchphrases here that perhaps the church in Corinth were using to justify their actions. I have the right to do anything. Maybe this was based on Paul's teaching that because of Jesus his followers are no longer bound by rules and regulation. They have freedom. But rather than seeing that as freedom to do good and love others, these guys were misusing it to mean that they are free to do whatever they like. Paul's answer? Not everything is beneficial. And some things will enslave you, become master over you. So, well, I'm free to cycle without a helmet, but I might be asking for trouble. I'm free to, mo to smoke as many cigars as I want, but I might not be able to stop when I want to. Likewise with sex, I'm free to do whatever I want with whomever I want, but I may find that the damage adds up, perhaps without me even knowing. And I may find that sex has gained control and mastery over me, rather than the other way around. But Paul picks up on another little catchphrase. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. And this is based on a Greek idea of separation between an eternal soul and a perishable body. My body is just a tool, a machine which I can use to sate my desires. Having sex is no different from eating food. It's a normal, natural, physical desire that needs to be satisfied. Sound familiar? Well, Paul doesn't agree with this reasoning. Yep, the stomach is made for digesting food, but the body is not made for sexual immorality. And what does Paul mean by sexual immorality? Well, basically any sexual act that is outside of a committed marriage. And by body, Paul means more than just our physicality, our flesh, but our whole being, our personality, every part of us, inside and out, physical, mental, emotional, every part of it created by God to worship God and reflect Him as our Creator. The theologian Tom Wright writes this in response to this passage. What you do sexually, you do with your whole self. There is no separation, no disconnect between the sexual act and the soul engaging in it. They're all wrapped up in the same package. Paul then goes on to explain using Jesus, whom he calls Lord. Verse 13, the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Verse 14, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. 
So we are going to be resurrected from the dead, not as disembodied souls floating around, but as physical bodies bearing a resemblance, even the scars of our current body, just like the resurrected Jesus. The Bible does not reject the physical as unimportant. In fact, it's so important we get an upgrade. And Paul goes on in verse 15, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Jesus Christ himself? Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. So here Paul is saying that when we become a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus makes its home within us becomes part of us and unites us not only with him but with all believers but paul is using this this to say something really important about sex that the physical act joins you to another person so how can you then take your body that is united with jesus and then unite it with a prostitute paul is adamant that this is really bad And Paul here is picking up on a biblical principle of marriage as laid out in the creation account in Genesis. That's the first book in the Bible. This is what it says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Sexual union is described here as becoming one flesh, exclusive, permanent, sealed by God, And when sexual union is first mentioned between Adam and Eve, the writer uses the word, the Hebrew word, yada, which modern Bibles translate as made love, but what it actually means is to know, to know by experience a profound intimate connection between two human beings. There is no hint here of sex being a purely physical act, separate from the actual person. For Paul, And for God, who invented sex in the first place, sexual union is all about connection, intimacy, and a deep knowledge of your partner. So much so that the Bible is clear that the only safe place to share this kind of intimacy is within the confines of marriage. Here's a formula for you. Vulnerability plus uncertainty equals insecurity. Vulnerability plus permanence equals intimacy. However you look at it, sex is a vulnerable act. It requires a sharing of a part of yourself that is usually kept private. Without the certainty and permanence of a faithful, loving marriage, that sharing of yourself will only lead to insecurity, issues with self-confidence, body issues, emotional frigidity and a reduced chance of making a permanent loving connection through marriage. Paul goes on to tell his readers in Corinth in verse 18, flee, run away from sexual immorality. Why? Well, this is what Paul says. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. If you get this wrong, you can wreak untold damage upon your body. Not just your physical self, because if that was the case, it would just take the necessary precautions. Practice safe sex, be wise, be sensible, be responsible. No, Paul wants us to realize that sex by its very nature will transform you. 
in your entirety for good or bad, inside and out. So run away from the kind of sex that can damage you, mind, body and soul. So as we close and moving forward, one, handle yourself with care. Your body is not at all a mere instrument that can be used with impunity. How you use your body sexually will affect you in far deeper ways than you will initially uh, realise. It can leave scars that will take a long time to heal and possibly affect your future relationships. But two, it's never too late. When I was younger, I was told that sexual intimacy is a bit like sticky tape, sellotape. Every time you engage in a sexual relationship with another person, you stick to them. You join with them in an emotional and spiritual way. And the problem with sticky tape is that the more you use it, the more it loses its stick until it won't stick at all. Likewise, the more different sexual partners you have, the more difficult it is for you to bond intimately, to stick to another person. But we've got it's never too late to change. And no damage is too far gone to repair. God can heal you. He can make you whole again. He can give you a hopeful, positive future, regardless of the mistakes you may have made in the past. And thirdly, God is welcoming you with open arms. One of the worst mistakes I think we can make is believing the lie that because of our sexuality or the ways in which we have been engaging with sex, that we are unacceptable to God that we're the wrong sort of person or we're too dirty or we're messed up too many times. That just isn't true. No matter who you are or what you've done, God accepts you fully just the way you are. You don't need to change. You don't need to have it all worked out. Let Jesus do that for you. He's waiting for you to open the door. So let him in to start a new work in you. All you need to do is ask. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to this talk. Hopefully you found it interesting. Well, hopefully you found it challenging as well. And if you want to find out a little bit more about where we're getting this from, then there's a separate video which talks about the books, the resources, the podcasts that we're engaging with, with as, we, um, as we talk about this subject. And that's me and Becky talking about that. So do find that, follow the link to that on YouTube. And if you have any questions, you can contact us at gotquestions at hawleybaptist.org.uk and we would love to engage in a conversation with you and try and answer those questions if we can. So thank you for watching. Do subscribe to our YouTube channel. Do find us and follow us on Facebook and Instagram and do make a connection with us. Thanks.